But I had already, and some of my colleagues had already been thinking that it was inappropriate for the statue to be mm. there. One concern was that we shouldn't erase history, we shouldn't take down statues. So the reason we at UCT felt upset by it was mm. because we're so locked inside our own culture, um, mm. a particular culture, okay, uh, that uh, a culture of whiteness, really. I think one of the factors to consider is the, uh, which I think is is harming, is 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 creating barriers to that debate is the extent to which party politics hmm. are being played out on campuses spread the fire spread the fire spread the fire Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today I'm extremely excited to be joined by Dr. Max Price. Max, thank you so much for joining us on SMWX. Thank you, Cesar. It's a pleasure to be here. Some declarations up front are in order. Um, you were the vice chancellor while I was the SRC president at UCT. Yeah. Um, and I you... hope we both think that was a privilege. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, I really do. But you also were instrumental in helping me get to Oxford by writing a reference letter for me. So I must just publicly say how grateful I am and, and was for that. So it was heartfelt and sincere. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and you've just written this new book, Statues and Storms, about which we're, we're here to talk. You were U uh, UCT vice chancellor at a really important moment for the university and the nation. And you've reflected on that tumultuous period. Can we start where everyone wants to start with the Rhodes statue and the Rhodes Must Fall movement. What was fascinating for me was, was hearing about the internal meetings that were happening at the university at the time. Can you take us into both the Senate and the council meeting where the, the decision was ultimately take, uh, taken to remove the statue and, and some of the debates on either side of that question? Yeah. May I go back just uh a few weeks before those sure. because the the run-up is important mm, mm. Uh, the 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 protests were triggered by uh the but by a, a protester who threw poo on the statue yeah. Kumani. Kumani mm. um, and that was on the 9th of march yeah i was outside the country and uh initially there was little expectation that it would explode into a larger protest because there'd been many protests against mm. the statue and it was quite and a small protest it was a small protest it was a, five or six people gathered but really he was he had arranged it uh, pretty much on his own sure and uh, the, the 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 key concern was whether to punish him for having thrown poo because mm. that's what offended people mm. if someone had painted the statue mm. I'm not sure it would have uh, had that sort of reaction yeah and so when I came back after five days, uh, I'd been away, um, that was the key focus. But it had already erupted and the SRC and others had organized assemblies. Mm. And there was clearly a groundswell of support to remove the statue. Yeah. But it was also very divided. The campus, there were many on the campus who said, we've had these protests before. This is, uh, this is part of our history. Mm. Um, Rhodes donated the land in his will. Um, for a university, not actually for UST, but it doesn't matter, it's a technicality, mm. UST got the land. And um, so, and then there were people also who took the view that we should not airbrush history, that yeah. we, that removing statues 
is is not something we do in South Africa in general because we are committed to reconciliation, multiculturalism, recognizing that with whichever side you were on, Rhodes's Rhodes was an Cecil John Rhodes was an important part of mm. all of our history, uh, and and we should remember and teach about him. Yeah. But I had already, and some of my colleagues had already been thinking that it was inappropriate for the statue to be mm. there. And I think that we had expressed that a year before yeah. in a public lecture. Yeah. And I think that that probably um, emboldened mm. both the Chumani and the rest of the protesters. Um, and the first thing we needed to decide was, uh, wh where did we stand on this? Was this something we were going to fight for, yeah. for as long as we could? Or did we want to create a lead? But the one thing we knew for sure, and it relates to your question about Senate and council meetings, mm -hmm. was that this was not a decision that I as vice chancellor should take or that um, the executive should take. It yeah. was a decision which would have to go to the Senate and the council. Yeah, yeah. And Mike, yeah. Sorry, could I, could I stop you there? Because you, you've taken us back very helpfully and you write about how you actually took a public position against a lot of advice on the statute yeah and and can you can you talk us through why you decided to take that decision before we get to the senate and, and right. council meetings yeah well um so the, i one might ask well why wouldn't you take a position but actually the convention in is that a vice chancellor and actually a public figure who's the head of almost any institution it's uh, should not really express personal opinions on something on, on a policy matter that affects the institution. Sure. Because the public can't separate out that personal opinion. Even if you say, this is my personal opinion, it doesn't reflect the university. Mm. What would it mean if the president of the country said, this is my personal opinion, um, but it's not the country's opinion? Mm. No? Um, mm. the, the, the two are, are associated. So there was, we have a policy that vice chancellor wouldn't express or, or take a stand on a policy issue if it hadn't already been consulted quite widely. Right. And, and ideally endorsed by a majority or by the council. Mm. I decided in the, on this occasion not to, to, to take a stand. Well, yeah. partly it was because I'd already expressed concerns about the statue. Yeah. But partly it was because um, I knew that the, 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 the debate was not only going to be divisive, um, but that it was going to be racially divisive. Mm. And I felt that by being a white person going out publicly and saying, I think this protest actually is on the right side of history. Mm. Um, it would it would sort of slightly um, diffuse the knee-jerk reaction that many white people might have, and especially our mm. alumni all around the world mm. who mm. feel this nostalgic attachment to the campus, mm. to the Jamison mm. Plaza, to the statue, yeah. that they would not just dismiss it as a sort of radical black or... Sure pan-Africanist or some other protest, that they would stop and say, well, if the vice chancellor wants us to think about this mm. and, uh, and he's white, mm. maybe we've got to give this a second thought. So that was one of the things. It was one of the reasons. It was to, Interesting. Um, it was to deflect that, what I anticipated, knee-jerk reaction and to say this isn't simply a racial, racially divisive or racially divided issue. Mm. The second was um, to... I was concerned that... You know, statues are hard things to protect 24-7. And um, I was concerned that uh, a crowd would just pull it down. They'd come in the mm. middle of the night mm. with a truck and a chain mm. and pull the statue down. Mm. And that would be 
difficult to a very difficult situation to manage mm. it would also be difficult if in fact i thought the statue should come down to put it up again after it'd been pulled down oh my goodness, yeah. just to take it down <laughs> three or four weeks later yeah. Yeah. so i thought what i need to do is to signal that there's an open door here to the protesters mm. you're not trying you don't have to beat it down but mm. let's follow a due process and mm. the process was let's consult let's debate it yeah. let's take it through the various channels mm. And in the end, let's try to uh, it, hope. I hope that it will come out the way that, in, in a way that aligns with my own view and with your view yeah. to the protesters. But let's do it properly. We don't want to have these sorts of decisions taken by mobs. Mm. Mm. And we managed to then commit to a process that would take one month. We scheduled a council meeting for a month after the first protest, and a senate meeting for a week before that. And before that, we did lots of consultation. Mm. And I think it was a really successful protest process because, I mean, people sometimes ask me, why didn't we, if you thought the state should come down, why didn't you take it down before? Sure. And before you, there were two black vice chancellors. Mm. Why didn't they take the statue down? Mm. I mean, they must have had similar views. Um, and the, I think the answer is because we all thought it was so divisive mm. and we didn't think we would have majority support on the campus. I mean, I can vouch for that in my time as SRC president. It, it, it was almost like a no-go. Yeah, it was, it, like it, a taboo topic. Yeah, wasn't worth the squeeze on, on that. I think people were irked by it for yeah. a long time, but it was almost as if it was an impossible yeah. idea that it would ever be removed. That's right, yeah. And it still felt like that at the beginning of 2015 or yeah. as these protests started. Mm -hmm. And the, the month of discussion and debate actually swung it around so yeah. that in the end, it the Senate was... To all intents and purposes, unanimous. So can I take you and into... And the council was also, yeah. Yeah, can I take you into those meetings in more depth? Because I found that section fascinating. Because you said that you went into the Senate and it, it felt like it was quite evenly poised against taking the statue down and, uh, and keeping it. And as that meeting unfolded, and we, we must remember you're dealing with some of the, some of the most um, brilliant academic minds in the country in that meeting... In case your audience isn't doesn't know, yeah. the Senate is the gathering of the professors of the university, exactly. yeah. supplemented by some student representatives yeah. and a yeah. few support staff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't imagine. It is an intimidating yeah, place. Having having to be there. Yeah, yeah, the, in the Senate for a while. I can't imagine what the the atmosphere in that in that meeting must have been like. And and people were evenly poised, but as the debate unfolded, yeah. It tilted towards almost a unanimous position. That's right. How, how did how did that happen? And can you recall for us, you know, the feeling in the room when that momentous decision in the Senate, the council came later, happened? Yeah. Well, I I I, I recused myself from the chair and proposed the motion, mm. and the, I proposed the motion that we move the statue yeah. to another part of the campus. Yeah. Now that was wanting to say. To, 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 to address the concerns of, on, of all sides. The one concern was that we shouldn't erase history, we shouldn't take down statues. I should say that at the president of the time, President Zuma, uh, various other ministers, um, super, uh, constitutional court judges like Prof, like R.B. Sachs, mm. were all opposed to taking down the statue. Mm. Um, and so I was not, it wasn't like I was, I had yeah. the left behind me or, or, or mm. even you know, the liberation movements behind me or something. Mm. And they were opposed to it partly because of this view. As you know, the Stratum statue is outside Parliament. Mm. It stands there. Mm. There's been a view that some statues can and should be removed. 
uh, or, or Quinn, and, and apparently they're stored underneath Fortrecker Monument. I think all the statues of Fawut oh, wow. are underneath uh, Fortrecker so? in some storeroom there, yeah. <laughs> in case you want to go and... Interesting to know. Yeah. Um, but most uh, most have been left in situ. And the, the feeling, as I say, was that this is our common history. Mm. Um, we have to deal with it rather than pretend it didn't exist. Mm. So I thought that by moving... The, so And my concern about the statue was where it was placed. So yeah. there's, another, there's another statue of Cecil John Rhodes in the company gardens behind Parliament. Yeah. There's another uh, memorial above the campus on the, on mm. the slopes of, of um, Table Mountain. I don't have a problem with those statues continuing to be there. Uh, because they are part of our history and he was, in a sense, a man of his time. But the problem with the UCT statue was that it was in the pride of place. As you walked up these magnificent steps towards the what's now called the Sarah Bartman Hall, was the Jamie Hall, um, you were confronted by the statue and he was, it was imposing, but many people would have interpreted the statue as representing the values of the university, as if he was a sort of founder of the yeah. university, um, someone to look up to. And that is what statues generally represent. They, you don't erect a statue of an, an entity and you don't re yeah. erect statues to honor people who shouldn't be honored. So yeah. just, you know, I suspect many people didn't even know who the statue was of, but they knew this must be an important person who we respect. Mm -hmm. And that was what I thought we needed to remove. We needed to take him out of that position yeah. and put him in a museum or in a gallery or in a space where um, he, the, the, his sight, the sighting of the statue didn't signal a whole lot of things about mm. the university mm. and about the university's values. So that was the first part of my motion. I also thought that in another space, like a museum, it could be better contextualized. In a statue, you can't really write a whole history and yeah. say, what did he do that was so nasty? what were his strengths. Um, you can do that in a museum, and you can do that also if he's just one of a whole lot of rogues and heroes sure. of history. Sure. Then people understand it differently. And that's how the motion started um, and got quite a lot of support. But the SRC of the time, the SRC president that's in particular, Ramavino Mahapa, um, moved an amendment to say that it should be removed altogether. Yeah. And he and some of the other students made impassioned uh, pleas about the experience, what it felt like to be confronted by this statue. And it was really the expression of emotion of their reaction, which came across as completely authentic, not, mm. grand, not grandstanding, mm. which persuaded the, major, the, 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 the Senate to vote against my original motion yeah. and in favor of the amendment. Mm. One of the ways of capturing that emotion, I think, was it was an incident that happened during this month of protest, which 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 was very powerful. And that was that the fallers, the Rhodes Must Fall group. Mm. Uh, one morning, I woke up. Well, I was I was called early in the morning and said that mm. there are posters of swastikas and Hitler hmm. on the pillars of the Jamison Hall. The Jamison Hall has yeah, pillars, that, and there yeah. were a series of swastikas. Mm. And people were outraged because mm. it's generally accepted that a swastika is in and of itself anti-Semitic and hate speech. Yeah. And so um, this was regarded as an anti-Semitic mm. uh, speech. So the posters were quickly taken down. And I've, I very soon had the South African Union of Jewish Student Soldiers mm. in my office mm. saying, what are you going to do? You better must punish the people for anti-Semitism. Sure. Sure. And at the same time that they were there, 
the, four, the representatives of some of the four lists hmm. went to the student office and said, we want to take ownership of the protest. We put up the posters. Hmm. Um, and then they said, and we also are quite fine that you've taken them down. We wanted to make a point. We wanted to make a point that the kind of visceral um, experience that Jewish people have when they are confronted by the swastika and pictures of Hitler is the sort of experience we have every day when we walk past the statue of Rhodes who conquered and annexed uh, Rhodesia and massacred the, uh, some of the communities there and disenfranchised significant parts of the black community and the Cape African community. And I said, it's, it's not something that's necessarily completely rational, but this is our experience of being on a campus which says... We, 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 we put Cecil Rhodes up as our, as our hero. Hmm. Um, and I think that that really spoke to lots of people in a way they hadn't understood hmm. it before. And that was the sort of tenor of the, of the speeches being made in the Senate. Hmm. Um, and people got it. You know, they said, hmm. okay, I'm, I'm not black, perhaps I can't, I don't have that sort of experience. So I always, when I learned history at school in the 1970s and 80s, hmm. You know, Rhodes was this—he was the prime minister of the Cape, and he achieved so much in his short life. And he built these companies, and then he donated his money to the Rhodes Scholarships and mm. to mm. donated the land. And he was committed to education. And you know, okay, it was—it was 1899, 1890s. He—he—everyone had racist views then, you know, or had different views about race. Uh, we shouldn't hold him account, hold him to today's standard. A lot of that makes sense, although a lot of that is not completely true sure. either but what people really got in this debate was that uh, the perception of him and what he represented was so hurtful to people mm. to a whole set of the community that if you want to have an inclusive campus if you want to improve social cohesion on the campus mm. if you want people to say I belong here this is my campus I'm not a visitor on a white campus yeah this is I'm not a visitor on a colonial campus or on a on a on an, an implant from Oxford mm. this is my campus then you have to take those emotions seriously yeah and that's what swung the debate no it's 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 really interesting to hear the the, the story behind it and of course you you go into it in the book and that's why people should buy the book um, which you. we will say periodically Thank through uh, the interview but to, to digress philosophically for, for a moment, because, of course, you also speak about it. This debate spread into all kinds of corners of the world. I happened to be at Oxford at the time, and, of course, Rhodes Must Fall went to Oxford, and there yeah. was a whole history of it there. But one of the things that persuaded me, um, I, I supported Rhodes Must Fall and the fall of the statue from the outset. But in, in the debates that were happening in Oxford, what became clear is that statues and monuments actually represented multiple things at the same time. They represented something about the past, but they also represented something about the present and the future at the same time. And, and you were sending these multiple messages about what you thought about the past, but also what you thought about the present and where you wanted an institution to go in the future. Yeah. And, and the statues through those various different meanings then became an, an object for debate about where was South Africa at that moment and where did South Africa want to go and where was UCT in the present, never mind the past, and where should it go? And, and I thought sometimes that debate got a bit lost, that this wasn't only about 
whether Rhodes's historical record was appropriate or inappropriate. It was also about where to in the future. So I, I'm interested in you... Well, let me try to defend mm. the, 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 the case that it was about where to in the future. Mm. Mm. Or, or are you asking me about Oxford? You're not... Are you asking me about the Oxford debate? Or that's the kind of that's that's okay. how it, it it and that's how it manifested in South Africa and Oxford. Right. But I thought those who criticised your decision, UCT's decision, who criticised it in Oxford, lost sight of the fact there was an important historical debate. Yeah. Which I think those who wanted the statue gone also won. By the way. Yeah. But there was an important debate about the future and yeah. what kind of symbol and the present and what kind of symbols were appropriate in that moment of South African history yeah. and the future. Yeah. So, in terms of the Oxford debate, I feel less strong. I, I felt sort of neutral about whether the statue should come down or not. Yeah. For, for the following reason, unlike at UCT, that statue outside Oriel College, on Oriel College, it's a small statue high up on the facade. Almost no one knows that it's there or who it is. And if you walk past, you struggle to find it, frankly. I don't think you would look at that gallery and it's not the only statue there's whatever seven or eight statues on the facade i don't think you would walk past oriel and say these this person you wouldn't know who they were mm. that this person represents the values of oriel and that they need to come down because they somehow misrepresent values yeah. and that's why i think it was very different from uct's the only statue at uct etc mm. won't repeat the argument and so i didn't feel strongly about that mm. um uh I, what I did think was really useful at, at or was by surfacing the debate. Mm. I mean, I supported the protest because I thought what it achieved was to surface the debate about colonialism yeah. Yeah. It's, and surface the debate about slavery in, in the UK. Mm. I mean, most people who think about the UK and slavery, bizarrely, only think about the abolition of slavery. They sort of think about British history yeah. as about the abolition of slavery. Uh, and they know the great names, Wilberforce and others, yeah. who, pro it doesn't immediately, it's not immediately strike them that <laughs> actually the reason they had to abolish slavery yeah. is because the wealth of the existed. empire had yeah. rested on 400 yeah. years of slave trading. Mm. Just hadn't been many slaves in Britain itself, but it was the slave trading. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was a debate that really got triggered by that. And, and mm. the, the, the statue of, of Edward Colston came down in Bristol trucked yep. into the canal yeah, and he endowed a lot of the buildings of Bristol University mm. um, and and many other and in the States there's yeah. been tons of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, coming back to, to UCT, mm. I think it was about the future because mm. the debate about decolonization and colonialism had not really happened yeah. so strongly on the on the liberal English campuses mm. in South Africa before that. Yeah. And this was the was a trigger that really opened up those debates. Um, and I say in the book that one of the potential titles of the book I was going to consider was the, the, the phrase which was often used by protesters and others, mm. it's not just about the statue, or it was never just about the statue. Yeah. The message was, yes, the statue was important and it needed to come down. Yeah. But the statue was a symbol of the colonial history of the country and of the way in which we still valorized the culture of that period and of that colonial mm. entity. And, 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 you know, UCT has very much a feel of a colonial university just in its architecture, sure. let alone in, in its curricula and in other things. Mm. Um, so 
the value of having that debate and, uh, and, and of the statue coming down was to open a debate about many other things, about the culture, mm. about the artworks, about other sculptures and symbols, about language, about menus, about just all the things that go to, to make an institutional culture. I think those, those matters, those issues would have been hard to unpack. They would often have been dismissed as a bit trivial, you know, or found there would have been other ways of, of, of countering them. I mean, uh, one of the stories I tell is about uh, the protesters slaughtering a sheep. Mm. on the campus to celebrate as a, as a sort of ritual celebration. Mm. And when that first happened, it was outrage. Um, I mean, you know, people would write to me, alumni would write to me and say, standards have obviously fallen at UCT uh, when we've descended to the point where sheep are being slaughtered on the top of the Steve Beaker building, the student union building. Strongly worded letters. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and people saying, if this is what universities UC is becoming, I'm taking away my money or my donations or I'm taking you out of my will. Mm. You know. mm. and, and on campus too, uh, for yeah. some communities, my community, mm. my white community, uh, we don't slaughter animals in public and it feels, um, it's not, I wouldn't say it just feels strange. It, I think historically, it, it would have been anathema somehow to the culture of a university. But through the process and through debating it, mm. um, you know, the protesters said to us, we slaughter sheep and cows every weekend in Kailicha and in Googs. We celebrate this way. We, you know, you, you, the fact that your beasts are slaughtered in abattoir mm. doesn't make it less inhumane. Mm. Of course, the vegans on the campus and the vegetarians Trolls. had a different issue, um, but Trolls. they have an issue wherever you slaughter them. Mm. Um, and they said, you know, the reason we were upset was because it was happening in a white area or on a white campus. Mm. Mm. Um, and as it happened, I'd been at the University of Fort Hare just a couple of years before, and they launched a new first-year program, and I went there to help them celebrate this launch mm. with uh, my friend Mvuyo Tom, who was the vice-chancellor at the time. Mm. Uh, of University of Fort Hare, and they slaughtered a, a, a bull with a with an assegai, with an assegai into the neck uh, as 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 part of that celebration on the campus, and they didn't think anything. The reason we at UCT felt upset by it was mm. because we're so locked inside our own culture, um, mm. a particular culture, uh, that uh, a culture of whiteness really that we. Mm found it uh, that, that we sort of essentially we said that's that's sort of bordering on primitiveness of savages and it's very quick easy for that to slide into uh, racist um, tropes tropes yeah and, and what's fascinating about that is is on the one hand you had a group of people defending Rhodes's legacy of violence and on yeah. the other hand abhorring you know this other yeah. form of violence and well I think they were defending his legacy from 150 years ago they probably wouldn't have I don't think they would have defended it today. Um, so, well, so so. And Rhodes probably hunted beasts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well. yeah. So. But I do think yeah. it was about the future as well. No, Sorry, no, just no, to no, absolutely. To come back to your question, yeah. And whether you think the Oxford statue was 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 similar to the UCT statue. What I think was interesting about Rhodes Must Fall as an idea was actually the strategy of Rhodes Must Fall, because these debates had been happening on South African university campuses, maybe not with the same intensity, but for a reasonable time. 
But what Roads Must Fall managed to do was strategically focus the attention on one symbol and then use that symbol to talk about all the different yeah. questions. And it, it felt like before that, people were talking about so many different problems that they hadn't found a way to unite yeah. that conversation. No, it was a brilliant strategy. I mean, it wasn't yeah. a strategy. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was as proactively strategic, yeah, somehow, but it yeah. was a brilliant strategy. Yeah. The road statue captured everything. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it really embodied all that, that, that what was wrong with the institutional culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So take us into the council meeting then before we go on to fees must fall and the next, the next part because that's quite an eventful yeah. meeting yeah. And, and how the final decision from the institution to take the statue down unfolded. Look, the council meeting was not that different in, in, in the way it evolved, but um, we'd had everyone on the campus kind of assumed by the time we got to the council meeting that it was a done deal, mm. that the council having had almost unanimous support from the Senate, support from the majorities of all the other constituencies except the alumni, mm. who the majority were opposed to. But yeah. we kind of understood that on, you know, the alumni is an older group, they feel nostalgic and all that. Mm. Um, so the the student, the, the protesters gathered outside the place where the meeting was being mm. held mm. Uh, in advance of the meeting starting. It was started at five o'clock. They were there from four. And, you know, very celebratory, joyous. And frankly, we all thought the meeting would be an hour, maybe an hour and a half, because mm. how much was there to discuss? We we're going to run through the debates. Yeah. We we're going to say everyone supports this. Let's do it. But it didn't work out like that because there were constituencies in the council that had two kinds of objections. One was council, which is the supreme policymaking body, does not like being treated as a rubber stamping body. Mm where there's something is just a formality. Sure. And they felt a bit annoyed that the way this had evolved had put them in a situation where they couldn't mm. say anything mm. else in a way. Right. So that was the first thing. So they weren't going to just come into the meeting and say, okay, done. They wanted to have the full debate. They wanted to flesh out the pros and cons, think about the heritage issues, think about the legal issues, think about... Um, all the you know go, rehash all of the debates and that was fair enough they're entitled to do that and uh, that was absolutely fine sure the second set of arguments was that they disagreed they they supported my original motion to to senate yeah. but not the amendment and they did have the option of rather going with the original mm. amendment which which was also more consistent with what most of them thought should happen not that the statute should be removed altogether and hidden away yeah. but that it should be uh, moved to a place where it could be contextualized and wasn't cited on the campus. Um, and, and, and there was a strong lobby that wanted that outcome. Right. And the council could have decided that. Um, the meeting dragged on. I mean, the meeting, we went round and round, and after three hours after starting, so around 8 o'clock, mm. with the crowd having been outside for four hours, mm. the crowd now got, got the impression or started thinking, actually, this isn't going to go our way. Mm and became really angry and uh, uncontrollable, frankly, and managed to break into the building and storm into the, the foyer outside the, outside the hall. Just a bit word of advice if you're ever in a situation like this where you think you might have a crowd outside of you, you need to have an emergency exit on the other side of the room. Because <laughs> That's always a good idea. They, because we, because we, we, we called security, but the problem was yeah. 
the only way security could get in would be to cause a stampede <laughs> from the crowd outside into the room and that would have been really yeah. dangerous so wow. we couldn't uh you know you, if you're going to call security you've yeah. got to have your own escape hatch or something yeah. so anyway i didn't know that professionally <laughs> we didn't have that a lot of crisis management yeah. lessons um so we didn't want security to just come and create a stampede mm. um so a couple of people went out, including Ramabina, the SSC president, who was yeah. in the council meeting. Mm. He tried to negotiate with the protesters. He tried to assure them that this wasn't going to, that, that there would be a decision. It would be mm. a favorable decision one way. It may not be exactly the same decision, but that it would, the statue would be removed. Mm. Um, but he, he, couldn't pass, he couldn't really pacify them, and then stormed into the meeting. Yeah. Um, and uh, the chair of the council, who was the archbishop, Mm, uh, John Dungani. Yeah. You know, who's a he an activist of note. He spent ten years on Robben Island in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, yeah. Um but unfortunately, you know, young protesters born in the nineteen nineties don't even know who he is. I mean, they were incredibly mm. hostile to him, calling him an Uncle Tom, t- t- telling him he's sold out and mm. that he's puppet of the Vice Chancellor of the White Vice Chancellor mm. and just really horrid. Mm. Um, and shouting and jumping on the tables. And he just sort of stopped the meeting and said, well, we're not continuing until until people leave. Um, and, you know, it was a stalemate. Eventually, uh, most left, and we agreed that a small number could stay in the meeting. We were really at the end of the debate by that point, mm. and we were about to vote, and it was a secret ballot, so people could vote however they thought without um, feeling that, they would let anyone would know who voted what, you know. So mm. I don't. That's not to say that, that we weren't feeling the pressure. We were when you've had a crowd chanting and sure. invading, but and it's not ideal. And one option would have been to adjourn the meeting and say we have to take this another time. But I think we all reckoned that there was there would be something churlish about that. We knew we were going to. We were at the point where we were going to yeah. remove the statue. It was there was expectations had been built up and it would likely just inflame and exacerbate a problem um so yeah, yeah. we went to a vote the vote was again unanimous uh, to remove it and and I, I think this probably isn't said enough because it felt to me that that in that political moment um no one no one was praised by the end of of, of anything but it was to the universities and to your credit that you took that decision um i watched and, and was hoping you would take that decision. And uh, I'm sure you faced a lot of backlash for that. But I think people underestimate the, the extent of that, that a completely different decision could well have been taken. Yeah. And um, at Oxford, where the decision was to keep the statue, it felt to me like, although the debate was won philosophically, donors intervened in many ways and said, forget about it and, yeah. and the university in many ways caved to that pressure whereas we didn't in south africa that's exactly my impression that mm. the i thought oriel had a reasonable warden who really mm. wanted to give it she, she, a she proper had, debate she, she ended up being have, kicked out because she even entertained the debate yeah yeah and because yeah. donors threatened to pull yeah. their money absolutely and of course at uct donors threatened and did pull their money we lost a lot of <laughs> donor support as well yeah wow 
it's hard to know how much because often it's a historical counterfactual. Yeah. So people, lots of people wrote to me and said, I've taken you out of my world, mm. but I don't know if we were ever in their world. Yeah, so sure. Sure. it's easy to say that. Yeah. But I do know of a whole lot of big donors who um, who cut back at least for a while. Yeah. I think what uh, was interesting was that we were the first, we, UCT was the first really to take down a statue of that nature. And it was kind of revolutionary revolution is the wrong word but it was it was, it was really watershed uh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it was a really I don't important know what the right word but the, mm. it was the first right mm. and it was going against the grain yeah. the interesting thing is that within two or three years it had mm. almost become de rigueur mm. on mm. campuses across yeah. the states yeah so that it ceased to be such an outrageous mm. Act mm. action and donors and others started realizing okay mm. this is not just you know at the tip of africa mm going rogue mm. um there's the, the this is the, maybe we've got to think about this yeah. when serious university what when what they consider mm. serious universities mm. hopefully they consider UST serious but when they consider serious universities like harvard changed the name of its law school yeah. it was named after royale yeah. who was a slave owner you know woodrow wilson school mm. president of the united states mm. it's been changed the name has changed because yeah. of his racist Princeton. attitudes yeah um so uh, when they saw that happening on a larger scale, yeah, I think uh, now we can be seen as the sort of forerunners of that and having really mm. opened a process of, of rethinking uh, the meaning of statues uh, on, on a significant scale. And so now it's not seen as so controversial mm. anymore. It's mm. hard to remember how controversial it Absolutely. was at the time. Yeah, and the, just the sheer amount of media attention, yeah. public attention that yeah. was concentrated on UCT at that time. Yeah, yeah. Just as we conclude that, I wanted to read a, a section about how you felt personally when the statue actually did come down. And it was an interesting confluence of emo uh, emotions. You said you were proud that we, as an institution, had removed the statue. You were proud of the discussions that the institution had made possible. But you were also really relieved that there was no iconoclastic crusade of, of just pulling the statue down without an institutional decision and take us through how you felt personally that day when the statue actually did come down and do you think roads had to fall in in hindsight do you still maintain that was the right decision i do think it was i absolutely think it was the right decision and in many respects as i was saying the fact that so many other institutions universities around the world have done something similar confirms for me that it was the right decision perhaps i was less sure then i was more a little bit more equivocal because mm. i i i do not think that simply the statues of all rogues should fall but that statue where it was should had to fall it it was it was exhilarating actually mm. it felt that uh, i was i was uh, there's a couple of photographs of me yeah. right up against the fence <laughs> with my cell phones yeah yeah with myself and taking the photographs as well of the of the statue being yeah. lifted off the uh, the crane lifting the statue off its podium, mm. and there was this uh, amazing sense of of unity. I thought that if you look at the pictures of the crowd, it's a mm. completely diverse crowd um, of students, and um, of course the people who were opposed to it wouldn't have come. So that's a selection. Yeah. There's a yeah, sample sure. selection bias there, but. Um, but 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 I but I felt that you know the university in a way from 1994 had been building up to this moment, yeah. and that it was a, a watershed. Uh, it was a tipping point that, mm. 
having uh, having been so anxious about how divisive it would be, having thought it was almost to be that it was unthinkable that you could take the statue down. Mm. Within a month, we'd got to this point, we'd, and, and it was opening up everything that was to follow. And I mm. feel that I was I was vice chancellor for seven years before this moment. Yeah. Um, the biblical seven good years. Oh, just right. so I was part of the you, good years. You were, <laughs> you were part of the good years. Yeah. Um, no, I mean they were all good years, but mm. I didn't have the stresses of the of <laughs> yeah. the protest. No, absolutely. Um, but and it felt like transformation, and that means mm. lots of things to lots of people. But transformation mm. had been happening incrementally, but it yeah. felt like you were riding a bicycle uphill, yeah. and that there were people like pulling you back, mm. Uh, mm. Or, or or you were dragging a load. Yeah. You, people not necessarily pulling you back, but they weren't helping you get up, and sure. you were going up and up and. That moment felt like I'd, we'd summited the hill, mm. and now we were going to go down. Mm. And the, the 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 there'd been a shift in mindset about the colonial culture, about mm. the culture of the institution, mm. about institutionalized racism, about blind spots, all yeah. sorts of not all immediately apparent, mm. but an openness to debating those things, thinking about them. Yeah. And uh, it, it took a, another two years, and so I'm no doubt some people say it hasn't changed enough. But I think it has been permanently changed, and mm. I think it's in the right, going in the right direction. So yeah, I was pleased the statue came down. I was pleased that we'd had this debate because, the, as I said earlier, the, the debate had created a significant consensus, a sufficient consensus, yeah. they yeah. used to say in the constitution process. Mm. Um, and we had managed to avoid, you know, we were uh, in many newspapers, especially in British newspapers, for some reason. Mm. I was accused of being like ISIS. Yeah. Um, you remember well, this was the at the club. time of the ISIS. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a few years after the ISIS yeah. war in Syria, where they'd been iconoclast, where they were iconoclasts. They yeah. were destroying statues which were yeah. hu human heritage. No, the British media went 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 <laughs> mad. Yeah. yeah, and so and I thought if the statue had been pulled down like that, it would have sent a message to the world that mm. UCT that this wasn't a university; it was a war, mm. and it was about who was most powerful mm. physically, sure. who who could control the space. Yeah. Um, and we'd managed to avoid that. It wasn't mm. shouldn't be taken for granted that we would have. We had 24-hour guards on the statue. We eventually put it in a box mm. to try to signal to people like, uh, we're halfway there, but we're not taking it away. We're not pulling it <laughs> down. Put a, a, ticking, a ticking clock on it. Yeah, well. we should have. Yeah, that would be, yeah. yeah. No, no. Um, so, so, Max, let's move to Fees Must Fall because that's the next part of the book in large part that's the next saga in which you're deeply involved and i guess to start you make the case that you don't think fees must fall could have happened without roads must fall why why not and and how did roads must fall morph in some ways at least at uct but also on other campuses into this move for fees must fall right so I do say think, unlike some of the four lists, that they were distinct movements, distinct yeah. agendas, and that um, and 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 it's useful to be reminded of the fact that the fees must fall for protests were happening on black campuses, on historic sure. black campuses, sure. for years, mm -hmm. and and the four lists shouldn't take credit for, as if they invented the fees must fall yeah. protests. But where roads must fall really helped uh, and and it created an enabling environment was um, I think primarily through creating a network of activists nationally, largely through social media, 
Rose must fall was a bit like the Arab Spring was in in revolutions in some other parts of the world. Mm. The protesters discovered how to use and perfected how to use social media yeah. to mobilize. In what you know, when when I was well, not just when I was a student activist in the seventies, but yeah. but but even in the in the twenty tens, if you wanted to have a protest in your even a bit mm. before your time, if you wanted to have a protest, you had to print posters and you had print pamphlets and yep. you handed them out and you had to give three days notice to the university that you were going to have a gathering at a certain place not because we could stop it but because we needed to mm. prepare for it now with social media they would say there's a gathering at outside bremner the administration block in an hour's time and it would happen mm. people would come from everywhere and then if it was a small crowd and let's say the police were there and the yeah. police tried to remove the crowd that would all be videoed, live streamed, and within half an hour there'd be 2,000 people there because they mm. were coming now to fight the police, not to necessarily identify mm. with the issues so much, mm. or they were fighting harassment. Um, and so, so the first thing that, that social media does is it helps you mobilize very quickly. The second is it helps you organize nationally. So in the past, when student leaders wanted to organize something, they would have to usually fly to one place, have a meeting, plan a campaign that would run over, over weeks or something. Mm-hmm. You could have a conference call, but now on social media you could organize nationally. Mm-hmm. And they did get together as well. And in fact, there was a key meeting, a summit, the Minister of Higher Education yes, yeah. held a summit uh, in, in October 2015 and all the student leaders were there mm. but they all already knew each other they were all on the same whatsapp groups and so when the protests broke uh, at wits mm. the other campuses could be mobilized also when the protests broke at wits and they said this is our demand it was easy for other campuses to know what the demands were make similar demands yeah. um, and then when management responded and said okay well we'll offer this Another campus might say, but we, our management has offered that. Mm. And then they would be playing us off against each other yeah. in real time, you know. And then you also had the phenomenon of the hashtag, mm. and, which is a social media phenomenon. Mm. There is no movement called Fees Must Fall. There's no, there's no, you can't identify a structure. It has no constitution. It has no um, elected representatives. It has no spokespeople. It has no president. Mm. It doesn't even have a set of criteria by which someone can be told you're in the movement or you're out of the movement. Mm. It has no mechanism for expelling people if it doesn't want them. It is, it is modeled on the Occupy movements like Occupy Wall Street. Mm. And mm. In, in the 20, uh, early 2010s, mm. there were these Occupy movements. They were very flat, no leadership, mostly built around social structure. Yeah. But the hashtag creates a sense of identity mm. you're part of the hashtag fees must fall movement mm. and the hashtag gives you the broadcast capacity and the yeah. um the, the the sort of snowballing effect yeah. of the protest i mean one way of uh i i had one protest uh, which i describe in the book it isn't wasn't actually related to fees must fall but it was on june the 16th and there were some students detained and the protester woman um, who stripped down naked in this speech, which Murphy Morobi, one of the UDF and Soweto 76 mm. activists, was giving a speech. Mm. It was the 40th anniversary of Soweto 76, mm. 2016. Murphy's giving a speech, 40, 50 people in the audience, 
and then this protester comes, strips down naked, stands next to him with a with a poster. Yeah. Um, and 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 we carry on. Okay, we carry on. She's standing next to him, and he carries on speaking. Then she takes out her phone, and she starts tweeting and photographing. And I think first to myself, well, are you in this meeting and protest or not? And then my second thought is, well, of course, what happens in here is actually irrelevant. There's an f- audience of 50 people who are not going to support you, and they don't care really about mm. this. But the real protest is happening on social media, yeah. as you're because this is live last year, and there she's a heroine mm. with mm. you know increasing number of followers watching this, and that's where yeah. the protest happens. So, so the the social media was laid the created the networks and laid the ground for a movement which became national and. The importance of being national was that there'd never been a national protest uh, in in South Africa in the universities before. Never. Not going back, you know, uh, 40, 50 years. And the strategy of the fallists, of the Friesmas Fall strategy, was, as I entitle one of the the chapters, you beat the dog until the owner comes out. Mm. The students knew that there was very little the vice-chancellors could do about keeping fees down. The universities have to run. The reason fees were going up faster than inflation was because we weren't getting more money to match the number of students coming into university. And so um, the budget, the amount we were getting from government was declining in relative terms, and therefore we had to make it up by increasing the fees at more than inflation. And that was finally in 2010, in 2015, 16, the straw that broke the, the camel's back. But they, there was nothing the vice chancellors could do about this. If we didn't put up the fees, we would have to fire a whole lot of staff. You, we're not allowed to run a deficit budget, not like the government. Um, so, but what they also, but the strategy was, if we can bring a whole lot of really significant universities, and I'm differentiating, uh, significant is the wrong word, metropolitan universities, universities that are in the public eye, mm. where people would be shocked if these universities yeah. shut down, if the exams couldn't be written, no one graduates, no one, none of the health science students can start their internship in the following year, um, none of the students who are going into articles in law firms or in accountancy firms can start their articles. Um, you can't take in for, uh, school leavers into the next year of study because the university has to reopen with the previous year's students to in order to finish the year, that is actually a crisis. And that's not a crisis that government wants to deal with. Yeah. And it's very expensive. It's also a crisis for the universities. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. and so if you can shut down a whole lot of universities at the same time, you can put pressure on government. Yeah. Yeah. If you shut down only WITS, the government says it's WITS's problem and WITS must deal with it. If you shut down Fort Hare, uh, yeah. government won't even notice. They said, we've had this in the past. That's mm. the problem for the Fortier students. Later. So that's what, and that, and that ability to organize a national shutdown yeah. was, a, was, a, was, had been enabled by the protests that had been uh, uh, developing over the year under the Rosemus Fall umbrella, yeah. the social networks, the social media, and it was effective and it happened very, yeah. remarkably quickly. So one critical comment I have uh, about the book, although you have uh, explained that this was actually a much longer book uh, and you you wanted to also discuss the seven uh, 
biblical years of, of relative calm. Yeah. Is that I felt that you, you depicted the period before roads must fall as one of student apathy, etc. And there's no doubt. I mean, I completely concede there was nothing like roads must fall before. But I do recall that that, you know, these questions had been bubbling for a long time. Um, so so the question of fees, for example, I recall certainly in my SRC, we had we had big debates in, in the university about about fees. And yes, the, the, the state subsidy had fallen, but there were also questions about whether universities had gone further than they needed to in terms of fees increases. Um, so I just wondered whether you, you, you had underplayed the extent to which maybe had vice chancellors and, and certainly government acted sooner, um, we could have maybe avoided this big eruption. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, the fees increases in the period before roads must fall, uh, fees must fall were, were really quite eye-watering in their kind of magnitude. Yeah. Okay, so what, where, my comment about the sort of apathy or the lack of student protest, it was really about the lack of student activism around national issues, around sure. the big political issues. Corruption was happening. Security and crime was all around us mm. and getting worse every day. Inequality was getting worse every day. Mm. Um, all sorts of things which, in the old days, mm. uh, in the pre-apartheid period, during the apartheid period, student activists would have been hammering government. Um, and what I, what I, my, my comment about that is that the ANC seemed to have a long honeymoon period, mm. Mm. largely because most SRCs in the country were dominated by ANC-aligned, sure. SASCO, sure. etc., and, and ANC Youth League uh, student movements, mm. and they seemed to be unwilling to take on the parent body, mm. but that changed in 2015. In 2015, they took on the parent body. Yeah, yeah. It was the ANC that was in the firing line because they hadn't kept their promises about free education, etc. Sure. Sure. So that's the that was the key distinction I'm making. Now, at UCT and in your period, you, your, your, your activism and your SSC's activism actually was enormously successful and resulted in a, a system at UST of, of cross-subsidization, mm. which, which, which I had thought was so solid that I didn't think we would have any fees for protests at UST at all. Mm. And actually, Ramabina, the president at the time, said to me, he didn't think there were going to be, even after that, the Witz protests had erupted, he mm. didn't think there were going to be protests at UCT. It, it was in some ways a mystery why then and that moment. Yeah. And, and yeah. it would turned out to be around solidarity and social media. Sure. Because yeah. the strategy nationally was, if you don't close down UCT as well, yeah, then you're, you're not going to have the pressure on the government. Uh, so yeah. it wasn't because UCT students were feeling aggrieved about the fees. Yeah. They weren't. We had sorted that problem out. And I'll come back to you know how we did that because you were mm. part of it. But it was because... Um, only a national shutdown, or at least a shutdown of the metropolitan universities, yeah. would achieve the goal. What we had done in two thousand and nine, mm -hmm. which was the first year that I was the first, my first full year yeah. as, as 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 vice chancellor, and your year as as SC president, is that we we pushed up the fees by quite a lot, but we uh, created a bursary system which would cover not only the full increase in the fees for those who were on financial aid but would also cover the increase for people who were in the missing middle, the people who were above the financial aid NISFAS threshold, but who we thought were below a threshold where they could actually afford the fees. I think it was probably around 
household income of 450,000 rand a year in 2010, and it went up to 600,000 by 2015. In other words, students who were between 150,000 and 450,000, who previously weren't getting any bursaries or grants or anything, could now get grants that would cover the full increase. And so all the students below 450,000 were not experiencing any increase, and that continued all the way to 2015 and 16. Every year we increased the for the fees by say 10 or 11 percent some portion of that would go into the bursary fund so that people who were on financial aid or in the missing middle had no experience that was the result of i think the the kind of negotiated and activism i mean i don't think you had to push very hard i think we always could see that ust was expensive that many people in the missing middle couldn't Mm. afford it we didn't want them to drop out Mm. so it wasn't a hard battle you didn't have to write to get that but it was um uh, we were addressing that problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what, what's interesting is you allude to there was this tension building between where the focus of attention needed to go. Was it on the universities or was it on the state? And, yeah. and as roads must fall happened and it morphed more into fees must fall, the attention started to turn from universities to the state. And, and then you had a decision also as universities to make in terms of whether you would in some ways support the students in, in yeah. turning attention to the state. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd like to go there now because, you know, you recount in the book that that moment where now students are marching to parliament. And in some ways, it seems to me that you support, you support this, yeah. this, this, this yeah, push support, towards, yeah. and, and one of, there were lots of internal debates in the country at the time, but a lot of, one of the criticisms of, the student movement was you're not as critical of the ANC as you are of the vice chancellors. Yeah. And quite frankly, the ANC is, is the government. Yeah. Um, and in this incredible turn of irony, your own son in those protests is arrested yeah. and ultimately ends up in, in the dock. Talk us through that moment, both in the way that the national attention is turning but also within your own family, you're, you're grappling with, um, you know, this this moment where I'm sure you must have been worried about your son, Ilan, um, and and how the picture now becomes a question of a national debate about what the government is doing. So the vice chancellors collectively had been lobbying government, and we had even many meetings in 2015 mm. about saying that you, you, you're... You're underfunding the universities to the point where we gain, we're facing a crisis. Yeah. Um, and um, so, so, so it, it wasn't a surprise to us when the fees must fall protest broke, but we were on the same side. We felt we were on the same side. We felt we were being unfairly treated by being cast as the enemy or yeah. the adversary, but we actually felt we were on the same side. Um, not always, certainly not about some of the methods used, sure, sure. But, but in terms of the goal. And so it wasn't a hard decision to support, for example, um, the, 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 the march to parliament. And I, we, I, I issued a statement on mm. our campus to yeah. say we encourage students to go, we encourage staff to go. Yeah. If you, we, we, we asked for exams and tests to be rescheduled so that people wouldn't miss their DP requirements if, if, they, if they protested on that day, went to Parliament. Mm. We even provided buses yeah. uh, to transport people. So we were, we were fully behind that. And 
in a sense, there was no conflict with my son because sure, sure. I would have been there. Wouldn't have been quite appropriate, but I would have. I, I had no. I really did support mm. the move, mm. and part of that support was, as you say, about re redirecting the protest because. Yeah. Up until that point, the protests had all been focused on the universities and the vice chancellors. Yeah, yeah. And we'd been saying to the students, you know, this is, we can't help you with this. We can't, there's nothing we can do to solve your problem here. Yeah. We can keep the fees low, but then the, the quality and everything else will suffer. We won't be able to fund the bursaries, salaries won't go up, or we'll, or we'll retrench staff. Yeah. And so we were part of trying to redirect that. And one in Joburg, the protest was redirected at Lutuli House. Mm. There was a march to, mm. the, as you say, it was the focus was on the ANC because there was ANC promises yeah. that had been broken as well. And then eventually on the union buildings. Mm. Um, so it, it, I think we were pleased that, and we had been trying to help redirect the protest. Yeah. And when it happened, we were fully behind it. Mm. Mm. Um, I think we're... On the on the on on the personal issue, yeah. um, I mean, I I, I was, it, I suppose it was inevitable that the story would become about Ilan and me, and you know, the public thought this was quite amusing. Has the the son of the vice chancellor is protesting, and the public still saw the vice chancellors as being the enemy. So they saw this as a conflict between right. us, and you know, how did I feel about that? My son was, yeah, yeah. but actually, um, it that wasn't the case. Uh, he, he knew what my position was, I knew his position, and it was basically yeah. the same, except yeah. for the around the methods of protest. Mm. Mm. I personally was opposed to some of the people who were arrested, not Ilan, mm. were arrested for being inside the parliamentary precinct because right. there was a they broke through the gates. I think that was. That was the only thing that was actually illegal. It is a key point. I don't think people should storm parliament. Uh, crowds can get out of hand. I think it's a problem mm. uh, to put pressure on parliamentarians in that form. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fine. Protest outside the gates, etc. Um, and so uh, I think there were a couple of infringements that I would not have supported. Mm. But in general, yeah. I thought this, well, the protest was a good protest. No, absolutely. And and. I think what's interesting about the book is you intersperse the the historical narrative with your own personal diary entries and, and reflections. So it's the personal feeling and then the the national picture. And the reason I bring up the the the, the arrest of of your son and um, what that moment must have felt like personally for you is is one actually in in the tumult of these years one is thinking about the political situation and, and not necessarily what the individuals personally are going through yeah. often. But it, it's clear that this period took something of, of, a, of a toll, even though you're renowned for your unflappability, as I said. And it was interesting to hear, as, as I progress in the narrative, um, there were moments where, for example, as fees must fall rolls out and and things start to get more and more complicated with the way the movement is happening and fracturing that more aggressive and radical methods are being used yeah and uh to come now to that moment where i mean your your own office you know was set alight and you you talk in the book about coming back to the office and seeing it and and the the, the black 
ceilings and then then there's a moment of levity where you say all these documents got destroyed so you didn't have to read all those things that you wanted to read for for years but um talk talk us through some of those personal moments of of real difficulty yeah um because a lot gets lost and sacrificed a lot of the students and and the student protesters feel quite traumatized about that period because of how fractious it got inside the movement um and i know a lot of vice chancellors at that time also hold um a very difficult psychological experience in that time of violence and worrying for one's own life and even family's safety yeah yeah so i i i i did feel that part of the book part of the purpose of writing was to tell an insider's story and mm. to reflect on the on on being in a leadership position and the stresses that come with that and yeah. especially uh, in a in a crisis situation yeah. where you have stake a whole lot of stakeholders who all want different things mm. and to show how it impacts on the family um mm. Mm. i mean one of the the parts that were hardest for me I, i'm i'm pretty sure this the mm. hardest for me was when they when vigils were held outside my house mm. yeah and yeah. um so my the vice chancellor's residence is is basically it's on yeah. the campus and then you did have an escape route planned you and we did yeah, yeah 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 uh it's on the campus it's quite a it's it's a beautiful house it's mm. got a sort of little forest around it so it's not so visible from the street mm. but the problem with having a forest around is that it can be set alight very easily by throwing mm. A mm. petrol bomb over the fence mm. um mm. even if you don't invade it yeah and, and your office had already my office had already been yeah. firebombed yeah someone had broken the window thrown a um you know a bottle of paraffin with a with a rag mm. into the thing it hadn't it it had it it had burnt and smoldered mm. so the building didn't burn there was just black soot everything yeah. everything yeah. was covered in and and the sofa which obviously which is i thought it was leather but it was obviously fake leather because it had melted <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you see you needed a refund for that, that. yeah <laughs> should we got a refund yeah yeah um so um yes yeah, so there'd already been an incident of arson in the office there have had of course been some incidents of arson on the campus a yeah. bus had been burnt a sure. key had been burnt the paintings sure. oh had been yeah burnt. of course and, so there'd been quite a lot of incidents and then they start then the protesters started holding vigils they called them vigils they protests from about 11 o'clock at night mm. so again this would be a social media thing mm. they would someone would say uh, so and so hasn't got accommodation um why should the vice chancellor sleep when mm. when we don't have accommodation mm. this was at the start of the year there were more students than we had accommodation we had to put them up in places off campus and so then they would go through the residences and there would be 2 or 300 people outside our gates yeah um and then they would be chanting and ringing the the bell and um triggering the electric fence alarms mm. and mm. so when you're inside it's a bit hard to remain calm when sure. when you've got this going on all the time and you're hearing the chanting and you're not sure are they going to try to break through the gate mm. um we did have security usually we asked the security to stand sort of half a block away from the protest because our experience was often that security inflamed uh, a right. protest which was not i mean most protests were peaceful and they were going to be peaceful but mm. you, you had to have a backup plan in case so we had a backup plan also to get out of the house mm. Uh, mm. through a back uh, gate if 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 there should be a fire and lots of fire hydrants around and mm. uh, people on standby but uh, you you don't get a good night's sleep when when yeah. when when that happens so 
Yeah, I think it's uh, important to sort of report on the personal toll. Mm. And it was also important for me to do that because um, I'm not quite sure why, but I have this, I had this reputation of of not being of of just being able to handle it, uh, yeah. being resilient, and so and I reflect in the book on whether that was always a good thing. It was a good thing for me. It helped me survive it, mm. and I think that it's, it's a good thing that I don't get, I don't take the bait, I don't get roused, I don't get angry, I never, I don't shout that sort of thing. Mm. But sometimes I think that that ups the sort of ante a bit in that mm. students actually or the protesters want to rile you, they want you to react. Yeah, and so. If you did react, that might uh, put a cap on, mm. on, on, on a particular protest or engagement. Mm. If you don't react, it's an invitation to, to become more aggressive. Yeah. I'm not sure, but on, on, on balance, I think um, what I wanted to do was to try to role model managing conflict as well. Mm. And I didn't think it was helpful to role model managing conflict by turning aggressive or... Or, or shouting or, mm. or, or reacting. Mm. I felt it was better just to, to listen, to absorb the anger, yeah. to understand, try to understand where it was coming from. Um, and the, the broader strategy was, as you were saying, I think uh, Feasmus 4 became an umbrella for lots of, lot, and so and rose before lots mm. of issues. Mm. Many of those issues had absolutely valid they were valid, they had good grounds. People, mm. for example, who were subjected victims of gender-based violence mm. had had legitimate complaints about how the university system handled it. For example, sure. that they couldn't necessarily always have women tribunal members, mm. which mm. they wanted, or that they that they had a that, that we had had a policy which was that trying to mediate conflict before going a formal disciplinary mm. route. Not often not appropriate sure. in, in in certain in in harassment. Yeah. Um, the people with disability, I mean, we 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 were we thought we were being sensitive to it, but not sensitive enough. There were many parts of the campus which were inaccessible mm. to people in wheelchairs. That for people who were hard of hearing, um, there was more we could do. We could have put in these hearing loops, which electronic loops, and a lot of these things happened as a result of the. Uh, protesters of the, from those groups. I mean, the, the the transgender group wanted gender neutral toilets. It's not a big deal thing to do, but you know, until it's really, it was a blind spot for me. I hadn't realised that if you were trans or if you were, uh, if you didn't identify as male or female, you had no toilets to go to mm. on the campus because they were all either male or female. Sure. And so you designate some of them as gender neutral, one or two in each building, and you can address the problem quite easily. What the Rose Must Fall and Fees Must Fall protests did was to give voice to a lot of those groups who had also felt othered and, and not included in the institutional culture and now had a community, the so-called intersectional set of intersectional campaigns. And those protesters could see when we were addressing the issues with, you know, with goodwill mm. and some things couldn't be done immediately like increasing the amount of mental health care mm. that was accessible or the number of black psychologists that were available mm. when black students said they wanted a black psychologist mm. um, these were issues which would take time but once they could see that we'd taken them seriously they would withdraw from the protest movement but there was also a core group of protesters who were driven by a different agenda and the agenda wasn't a goal that could be realized mm. it was violence for its own sake and I would I would label that group the phenonists 
they were a group of protesters, or they are still still some of them around. They they're a group of protesters who who believe that transformation and decolonization can only be achieved with violence. And this was, so in my view, it's a misreading of Fanon, but there's a way of reading Fanon, Franz Fanon, um, as saying this, that um, everything else is co-option. Until you've destroyed the system with violence, you can't rebuild it. You can't rebuild a post-colonial system or, or decolonial system. And for them, the university... Uh, was so entrenched in its colonial roots that until it was destroyed, and um, it could be re- couldn't be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Now, I reject that. Uh, hardly need hardly need saying I reject that. But that group therefore could not be pacified by a zero fee increase or free education or um, a commitment to decolonize the curricula or anything else. For them, violence wasn't was was the goal, mm. and we had to. Separate out all the other groups that were bol- that that were ending that were adding to the numbers and yeah. were contributing to the violent and the disruption mm-hmm. in the classrooms, um, so that we were left with a core group which we would then have to manage with a security a stra- with a coercive strategy, bring in private security or police um, to manage that, um, and that meant long hours and many days of negotiations so that each of the with each of the groups and with very different composition of leadership one day it would be people who tended to who represented more the transgender or the lgbtq mm. communities another day it would be the disability community and then it was the feasness for community the financial exclusions yeah. and finally we, we we still had this core that had to be dealt with there's um it's interesting um just just back to the the personal toll part um I, there was something in the book that I identified with obviously having a father as a public figure um, and the extent to which being in the public eye at a controversial moment, doing controversial things has a, an effect on on those who are closest around you. Mm. But they don't necessarily have control. Yeah. I mean, you don't have control of the narrative, but even but it's even still then, my choice, right? And right. I choose to be there, whereas my right. family doesn't. Right, right, and yeah. and um, that theme comes up again and again, not necessarily yeah. explicitly, but but how you, in some ways, you're also agonizing about the effect this is having on them, yeah, on them, yeah, and on you, and and on your, on the impossibility of of controlling it, yeah, either way, yeah. And that probably affected my wife mm. more than anyone. Mm. And just for those who don't know, who is a formidable academic in her own right, uh, f- yeah. far far more prominent in academia than you, exactly. Max. Yeah. Uh, and you know, a brilliant daughter and son, both of whom have gone to Oxford and have minds and and thoughts of their own on these questions. But yeah. nonetheless, somehow, get subsumed in a in a simplistic media narrative. Yeah. Both the media narrative, so so there's the media narrative, which is one source of the pressures. Yeah. I think yeah. for, for for my wife Deborah Posel, mm. who, as you say, is a professor at was a professor at UCT mm. at the mm. time, um, the, uh, the, the, the 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 challenge, the 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 awkwardness came from peers mm. inside mm. the institution, because having been always an independent academic and as you say mm. far more prominent as academic far more accomplished as an academic than I've ever been um, she became the vice chancellor's wife mm. 
and viewed by her peers and her colleagues as the vice chancellor's wife. So sure. if colleagues wanted to have a conversation, let's say, say critical of something I'd done, sure. they didn't feel comfortable having that conversation in front of her. Mm. So she got she was she progressively excluded from mm. Mm. a whole lot of these uh, discussions. And also, unfortunately, it, people assume that she shares my views on everything. Sure. So yeah, of course, if yeah. they have an issue yeah. with me, then they think they have the issue with her mm. as well. Mm. Actually, not true on many issues. Sure, but. Um, uh, and so, and so, uh, it really compromised her academic career. Not mm. just that it was uncomfortable for her, but mm. but really compromised her. I mean, she would, mm. you know, people would not invite her to give a seminar or something mm. because the assumption would be they were inviting. Oh, it's almost like they were inviting me, or yeah. they were inviting my politics mm. into the room, mm. um, and that she was tainted if if yeah. if they were not on if they were not allies, then mm. she was tainted by that. So, she had the toughest of times. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Max, we could we could talk about so many other aspects of this book. We've we've scratched the surface and again would strongly encourage listeners and viewers to to buy it and read it because it's an important historical document of that of that time and uh, adds to the growing debate about what that moment meant, means and will mean. Um, but I wonder if, if in closing and this is my final question. At the end of the book, to some extent, you reflect on that period from the vantage point of, of now. It feels to me, for all the difficulty of that moment, and I didn't go through personally what you went through and the students who were involved in that moment in South Africa went through, it felt to me like there was a kind of national reckoning happening, that, that there was a really honest, maybe sometimes too honest, national debate that that was emerging at that time and what's strange and what's mysterious for me is is how a lot of that has in some ways disappeared in, in this moment i feel like we've we've gone back to a more superficial public debate um the student movement doesn't seem to i mean is almost in the same position it was before whereas of course covid came and and, and went but it feels to me like we may not have seized out of that moment what we could have to to take the very important questions about where South Africa is and where it needs to go. And in some ways, as a country, um, it feels to me like we kind of squandered the moment of that debate and what it could have led to. What do you think? Um I, th I think probably it's no, no. I don't. I don't agree. I think there are some areas which have not taken advantage. Some some areas have not taken advantage of the momentum that existed. Mm. Although I don't think it's lost. There yeah. are others that changed permanently, and there are some that may have regressed. So, mm. um, one of the things we haven't touched on at all in this discussion is the insourcing outsourcing debate. Yeah. Um, I think at that moment, insourcing was the right thing to do. And that was a permanent change. And there are mm. thousands of workers across mm. the country whose lives have been permanently improved um, because and their conditions of work have been permanently improved. Yeah. And I think that future debates, I'm not saying outsourcing won't happen again. I think it could happen in a slightly different context. It may even be the right thing to happen. But it will happen, I think, with eyes wide open, understanding much better mm 
the debates and I think it will be much more humane if it happens but if it doesn't if people remain insourced as I hope they will um, I think they will it will have been a, a, a significant change and it reduces inequality in the institutions and there's a different mindset around that so that's an example of one whole strand of this protest movement sure. which is a perm change I think the Rose must fall protests which focus very much on institutional culture have had a permanent change um, that change isn't finished but I think the mindsets on the campuses are are different now um, about institutional culture I think many people are much more conscious of the blind spots especially that white, whites have that we whites have about those cultures and um, and 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 that change is, is uh, there was a quantum change over the two or three years following Rose must fall but there's not been any reversal that's mm. been progressive and to some extent if, if 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 one is on a trajectory which is a positive trajectory you don't have to keep fighting you don't have to keep being an activist or sacrificing your 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 your, your sure. recreational or study time to to push a campaign if it's if it's heading in the right mm. direction mm. in fact i think it's appropriate that it should draw back a bit because many people were scarred and carry those scars mm. and in some ways i think the pendulum swung too far in the direction of of um, this is your last question so there's no time to really defend what i'm going to say but <laughs> i'm just going to say it and perhaps there'll be another time in the, in the direction of identity politics mm. so i think identity politics um has some uh, has has there are reasons that it exists and it has some some validity in certain spaces but i think in general it's very detrimental to academia um the idea that you can only talk about the black condition if you are black or or or, or if you are gay about factors that affect gay people sure in my view is wrong mm. and um universities wouldn't exist if that was the case now that it, we swung all the way mm. to that position around 2018. Mm. I think we've stayed there through till about 220 to 2021. I hope we're moving a bit back from that and it would yeah. be a good thing if we did. So mm. um, we need to get some balance back and understand what the position, what the place is for identity politics mm. in academia and where it isn't. Um, but the trajectory of transformation, I think, is is set, and we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, on the fees issue, I think we did make two very significant changes, which which are are permanent and which um, are lasting. One was effectively free education for people under a, a much higher threshold, sure. and recognition of the missing middle, and that there's a problem there, and they need to be funded. Yeah. The problem is that. It was a stopgap measure which required a whole lot of significant policy changes. That hasn't happened, mm -hmm. and the NISFAS, which has to yeah, yeah. manage all of this, just has gone from one crisis mm -hmm. to another. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to face, and we do face, protests at the start of each year yeah. around academic exclusions mm -hmm. um, because that system isn't working yet. In that sense, I think we've we haven't gone backward to before the 2017 endpoint at which we which we reached yeah. but we are losing some of the gains because um we the funding isn't keeping up yeah with what's needed and so it's it's leading to protests i don't think it's as bad as it was but we we really haven't taken advantage yeah. of that momentum to fix it well you keep saying interesting things so allow me one more one more exchange yeah yeah well, <laughs> thank you well okay
yeah. as we enter the fourth hour. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I fully agree with you that the institutional changes that occurred in that moment have in many ways been cemented. And, and I was actually back at UCT for the first time um, in, in, in a decade in Sarah Bartman Hall. And it just, I mean, I knew in theory that the name had been changed and, and that the, the, the paintings that were there had come down. But when you go to the campus and you see it and you remember what it was like just 10 years before, there's no doubt that, you know, UCT is a fundamentally different place. Right. The point that I was more trying to, or that, that, that I still feel, where, where I feel we, we squandered an opportunity was in the national conversation oh, yeah. that had happened there. It yes. felt like we were entering a really interesting moment about reckoning with the, the ANC's period in government, reckoning with the constitutional moment and its, its um, virtues or whether you know it should have remained as it was or whether we needed some kind of deeper national dialogue. Yeah. And, and it felt like we had the makings of a, an interesting national debate at that time. Yeah. And, and then suddenly for me, the national debates that, that emerged from that university debate, I don't know whether it was the Ramaphosa era, I don't know, I don't know but, but somehow those debates seem quite static for me. I agree, and I think <laughs> we, we extend the conversation. I think <laughs> one of the factors to consider is the uh, which I think is is harming is 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 creating barriers to that debate is the extent to which party politics mm. are being played out on campuses. Sure, sure. And that um, what we're ending up with is a reproduction yeah. or or a, or a mirroring mm. of the splits in the ANC mm. on the campuses and the EFF has taken over many mm. of the SRCs mm. now, mm. and they're there primarily to drive an EFF agenda, and so those end up being the debates. Sure. And I think that's a pity. I'm not sure if there's a way of, of preventing student politics being dominated by mm. party politics, national mm. party politics. Um, I think it's an interesting question. I had never, I'd always thought it would be almost unconstitutional to ban uh, students from having the freedom of assembly, of sure. association in party formations on the campus. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's something that should be explored because I think it's really doing harm to mm. those, those debates and mm. the ability to, for students to free themselves from party ties and have those debates yeah. on those big issues, yeah, the national issues. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining us on SMWX. Thank you for writing this book, which I would encourage everyone to go out and read. And uh, I hope you enjoy the relatively calm waters of your post-UCT life. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for this opportunity. It was a really interesting discussion for me too. The pleasure was ours. Aye, yeah.